Are you ready to take your mindset to an even higher level on and off the mat? Then you're ready for the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, where business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs open their minds to new ideas and concepts that will help you during your entrepreneurial journey and during your consistent pursuit of becoming the best version of yourself personally and professionally. It's time to go beyond the mat with the host of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, Gustavo Dantas. Welcome to episode 90. I'm your host, Gustavo Dantas, and today we have the third-degree black belt, Rory Singer. Rory is a former UFC fighter and the co-owner of SBG Gym in Athens, Georgia. He talked about the importance of not comparing yourself to others. He also shared how we shouldn't try to reinvent the wheel. Look for help, find mentors or people that can help you with your journey. And my takeaway from the interview came at the beginning of the conversation when I asked him, how does jiu-jitsu relate to life? His answer inspired me to title this episode, Growing and Evolving. Stick around for my final thoughts after the interview when I expand on the topic, Growing and Evolving. Stay tuned right after Jiu-Jitsu Tribe's message. Who's the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast is a proud supporter of the nonprofit organization Jiu-Jitsu Tribe, formerly Live Jiu-Jitsu. Jiu-Jitsu Tribe supports social projects who offer free jiu-jitsu classes to unprivileged children and young adults in impoverished communities, inspiring, impacting, and improving their lives, keeping them away from drugs and crime, creating hope, and creating champions on and off the mats. Your donation helps projects to pay for their monthly expenses and facility makeovers. As a supporter, the BJJ Mental Coach donate all the profit of all online courses and merchandise to Jiu-Jitsu Tribe. For more information, please visit www.jujitsutribe.org. Let me introduce you to today's guest, Rory Singer. Rory is a third-degree black belt under Matt Thornton. Rory is a former MMA competitor who is a UFC and Pride veteran. Rory, along with his brother Adam, also a black belt, is the co-owner of SBG Athens, one of the top MMA facilities in the world. Rory, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me, Gustavo. I appreciate you uh, bringing me on. Yes, sir. We had a chance to connect at Tribe at the Mastermind, so that was awesome. God gave me some uh, good tips that I started to implement, so I appreciate that. And yeah, man, it would be good for you to share your experience with the listeners. So let's just start how martial arts got into your life and then eventually how jiu-jitsu show up in your life. Well, that's uh, that's pretty simple. That's when I talk about quite often. Uh, it sort of, it goes back, a lot of this, you're going to hear me talk about my brother, Adam, probably he'll hear me talk about my, um, one of my other best friends, uh, Lucas, who co-owns the gym with us uh, right now, but started back with my brother, Adam was being bullied back in the day. We are, we are Jewish. We were living in Staten Island and he was being bullied by some of the local neighborhood kids. Uh, and our uh, our father had put him in like a karate class of some kind but more for the purposes of self-defense it wasn't you know to really progress in any way with belts or anything which is like teach my son how to defend himself a little little while after beginning uh martial arts training he was able to defend himself he was eight at the time i believe so that would have made me five uh fast forward some years later Father was abusive. My brother was 
bullied and defended himself and they left him alone, but father was abusive, brother was bullied. Around the time I was 11 years old, we were living in Marlboro, New Jersey. And uh, at that point, father was out of the house, still had a relationship, but he was out of the house. And I really think what happened is my brother didn't want me to be bullied. He didn't want me to be any kind of victim and had really strong, you know, feelings, again, being abused by our father, him more so than me because he was older and whatever other issues that were there. Uh, so he started sort of teaching me some martial arts. Just more than anything, I think it was just trying to toughen me up or feel better about my ability to defend myself, my ability to stand up for myself so that I wouldn't be bullied, again, bullied by our father, bullied by other people. So he started teaching me martial arts. I was 11, so 76, that would put us at uh, 76, 86, 87, around 87, uh, 1987. Uh, I think, I'm trying to recollect, it was then maybe moving into my, so 11, a couple years later, we move, uh, I, I start wrestling a little bit, so I'm a freshman, he's probably moved out. Uh, he's, he's, he's moved into, you know, out of, uh, out of, uh, high school, but I wrestled, he had wrestled, I had wrestled, I think it was, uh, around the time that he came back from the Navy. I'm not awesome with time frames. probably a little bit of slight brain damage from all the fighting, but, uh, we started training martial arts together again sort of as adults there was some karate uh kanzen goju ru with harry rosenstein who was the founder of kanzen goju ru uh there was some aki jiu-jitsu and there was some taekwondo and there were all these martial arts more traditional martial arts that we were doing sort of together and 1993 you know there's the ufc there's hoist fighting and winning this whole thing with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And around that same time, we had met a gentleman by the name of Paul Vunak. We don't have any affiliation with Paul anymore. That's a whole nother story for a different podcast. But in training with Paul and some of the things we we're doing with him, part of that was he had a really big emphasis on Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He was one of the first guys training in the garage back with the Gracies back in the day. And he sort of got us to understand the importance of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and its importance in fighting and self-defense more than anything. So you couple sort of this gentleman who at the time was someone we looked up to. That ended after a couple of years for various reasons. So that ended, uh, you know, after some a couple of years for various reasons. And as we started to understand uh, where fighting truly lied in, in boxing and wrestling and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and sort of the more the mixed martial arts time, the mixed martial arts mindset. And, uh, but he got us on that path to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And I think the very first Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu videos we purchased were Pedro Carvalho, like the old guy, the older Pedro Carvalho. He'd be, you know, however old he is now. Uh, we went and did a little training with him wasn't the greatest experience in the world, but luckily we didn't let that stop us from coming back to Georgia and finding a Brazilian Jitsu coach. And, and sort of from that point, it was a lot of 
uh, videos and it was a lot of, well, yeah, I mean, VHS tapes because we're old. So a lot of VHS tapes and sort of learning on our own and then traveling to the West Coast uh, and training and then coming back and trying to put that together and, and, and teaching, you know, teaching and learning with, with each other. And uh, one of the things Paul said, which was super important, was like, hey, you need to go back and need students. You need to learn how to teach other people. So in that way, you'll get better at coaching. You'll get better at the art yourself because you're teaching other people. Uh, and so we started a club sport or a, a, a club at the University of Georgia back in like 97 because we both found ourselves in Athens, Georgia. Uh, when Adam got out of the Navy, he, uh, he and I actually spent a year together in community college. Then in 95, uh, he came down to Athens. And in 96, I followed him. So about a year or so later, we started this club at the University of Georgia. But then it was more of the stuff we were doing with Paul Lunak. But then it sort of changed a little bit when we realized what we were doing with Lunak at the time really wasn't what we wanted to be doing or really wasn't what fighting was. And we were figuring that out with other people that were in this organization with us. And around that time, we met Matt Thornton of Straight Blast Gym International. You know, most people know SBG through, through uh, John Cavanaugh and Conor McGregor. But John Cavanaugh is to this day, still a black belt under Matt. And uh, so we were training, we met Matt, and we sort of left all the stuff that we were doing and realized that what Matt was doing is sort of what we felt like we should be doing. And we started training with Matt, uh, I guess around probably 98, 99. My time might be off a little bit, but we started training with Matt around 98, 99 and doing, back then he was calling it functional Jeet Kune Do, which really just turned itself into more of the mixed martial arts stuff that we're doing. Uh, found a boxing coach, found a, uh, a Muay Thai coach, started putting a lot of these pieces together. And so figure 99, where are we at now? To almost 20 years later, continuing on this path of trying to find the truth in combat, which I feel the combat sports are the best example of that truth in combat. And obviously the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu lays a very strong foundation for all of it. Yeah. Since you have experience with so many different arts, how do you say with Jiu-Jitsu, how do you feel they relate to life? Ooh, uh, jiu-jitsu, so I would say that jiu-jitsu, the combat arts, but again, jiu-jitsu, because it's something that everyone can do up until, you know, the day they dump you on a mat in a wheelchair and until the day you die, you can still do jiu-jitsu. Can't do that with a lot of the other combat, a lot of the other combat sports. But the thing that jiu-jitsu has that is important in both life and is missing from the large majority of other martial arts, ones that we did, ones that we've never done because they're super silly, is truth. There's an epistemological groundwork that is in jujitsu that isn't in a lot of the other martial arts in that you are constantly having to evolve because the art evolves and you are constantly having to test it to prove the efficacy of it, 
which you don't have to do in a lot of other martial arts where they're lining up and doing katas and ipan and so much of your advancement through the art is your ability to memorize dance routines and scripted one and two step things you have opponents who aren't really ever trying to win and like life like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is a meritocracy. It's something that we talk about a lot at SBG. It's something that Matt, Coach Matt, talks about a lot. Life like Jiu-Jitsu is a meritocracy. That, I mean, the cream rises to the top. And you can't fake your way through Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu any more than you can fake your way through speaking Chinese. So in order to sort of, I guess the best, best word is say, prove it. In order to prove that your jujitsu works, someone else has to try and prove that their jujitsu works better. And it's the same thing in life. To get to the top, you have to evolve. You have to be pressure tested. You have to be uncomfortable and find comfort in those uncomfortable situations. Uh, and a lot of those other martial arts that we did, they never really, they never really look like actual fighting you were told do all these other things and this will def help you learn how to defend yourself from someone who in the real world is possibly trying to murder you and they fall flat on their faces in almost almost always again not all but the large majority uh, so we over the time figured a lot of figured that out and moved away from those things and you still see people unfortunately stuck in that but we were fortunate enough to find people that sort of helped uh, helped us in understanding that what we thought was right was and and to move away and not be stuck in this traditional mindset of just this guy is the, the dude at the top and he's told me I should do this and I believe him and I follow along and it's almost like a brainwashing. And then you see videos on TV of a dude with a giant belly making people fall over by not even touching them. <laughs> so uh, we just don't do that anymore, stuff like that anymore. And when... When did you feel that was the moment that you said, you know what, I think I want to pursue martial arts for life? Because you went to college, but when was the moment? I think the moment goes back some when my brother and I were taking, uh, when we were doing Kanzen Goju Ryu, and I guess maybe I was younger then. Maybe that was, that might have been even before my brother went into the Navy. Uh, so he might have been in high school. I might have been a little bit younger so maybe around whatever that time was we started training Kanzen Gojuru Harry, Harry Rosenstein and the dojo was inside a powerhouse gym powerhouse being like a strength and conditioning facility a, a weight room like a you know weightlifting and cardio and all that fun stuff uh really old school sort of steel gym I remember like Rich Gaspari who was a former uh, he was a former Mr. Olympia competitor. Rich Gaspar used to train in this gym in New Jersey, just right outside Marlboro, a place called Freehold, New Jersey. And we used to go there and do this traditional martial art, this very hard style uh, martial art. It's actually the martial art that's used in the very first Karate Kid movie. His two sons were almost slated to be in that movie. But they were too big, and Ralph Macho is very small, so they couldn't cast them. They couldn't cast his two sons because it would have just seemed too outrageous that this very tiny Ralph Macho was beating up these very giant, buff uh, martial arts guys. But that was the martial arts we were doing. Wax on, wax off. Very, you know. 
And so we were doing the martial arts and there was a weight room and I can sort of remember my brother sort of fills in the details of my very bad memory that we were like, this is what we want to do one day. We want to own a martial arts gym and own a weight room and people could come and learn how to defend themselves and then also learn how, and then also get, get strong. But it was such that over time we realized that wrong with this martial arts, there were too many constraints, you know, so goes back even further than, than Paul Lunak and, and progressive fighting systems. Uh, we realized that this was not right. You know, my brother was wrestling and we were wrestling together a little bit and we we're doing a little boxing and playing around with other things just because we were having fun with stuff. And then here we are having to hold our hands down and you have to fight this very regimented style and these really weird stances, cat stances and horse stances. And like you're fighting in rice patties or, you know, like Taekwondo, you're kicking people off horses. It's just a lot of things that are just so old and we don't, that's just not what, what fighting is and not what self-defense is. And over time realized that, that just, that wasn't it. So we, but that was really, I think sort of where it, where it, it sort of was born. And then fortunately we were able to find better truth in combat and self-defense. But I think it was, it was born probably in that, in that powerhouse gym. And uh, how was your mindset when you guys actually started a business that, okay, we getting the lease and we started in a business, which it can be pretty scary for a lot of people, you know, especially when you have no idea what you're doing you just have the passion that that's, that's what you want to do. So how was the mindset back then? And what year was that? When actually opened the business? So we started back then the hardcore gym, which might not be the greatest name for a business, but back then the hardcore gym was myself, Adam, uh, Forrest Griffin, our Muay Thai coach, our boxing coach, uh, and a couple of students. And we just went and rented a, a warehouse space that was dilapidated. And our Muay Thai coach had found, <laughs> found, a, found a boxing ring that was being used in someone's backyard as like a WWE ring. Like, you know, they were doing like that crazy wrestling in their backyard. So they had this boxing ring and they had some mats over the top of it, uh, some Resolite wrestling mats. He got that. We sort of decided that we would teach the mixed martial arts and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He would teach the Muay Thai and we just took over. We just got this lease. It was super cheap, I guess, for the time. And it was like 1,250 square feet. We had a tiny little heater in the corner, a little fan belt that ran a little fan to pull some air in, the big roll-up door and a uh, and handful of students. And back then it really was. It was the hardcore gym. I mean, it was, it was a gym that helped launch – my amateur and professional career and helped to launch Forrest's amateur and professional career and and didn't really look at it like a business I had because I had a full-time job it's 1990 let's say it was 1999 or thereabouts I had a full-time job my brother was finished was working on his master's degree but I think he might have also had a job so it was sort of, it was sort of a, a part-time thing. We were, we were training, we were coaching, I was working and we were going to school. I think I was just working at that time. And 
didn't really think of it like this was this was the business. This is okay. Now I don't do anything else. I just train all day and I coach in the evenings or whatever. And this is paying my bills and stuff. I had other jobs and other. I was making other money and I was fighting a little bit. So in two thousand one, at the end of two thousand one, went professional in South Africa. Uh, it's actually the card I, I met. That's the card that John Cavanaugh met Matt Thornton. So I've kind of known John. Uh, as long as anyone has in the organization, because he was on that card with me in South Africa, went there by himself from Ireland, which is pretty crazy to meet Matt and to fight. But uh, that's a, again, that, that's a little aside. So I didn't see it as a business then. I don't really know at what point I saw it as a business, but it probably truly wasn't until almost 2009 when we moved into the space we're in now that I started to consider this thing as a business and maybe we should figure out how to run it like a business because brother had a full-time job as a scientist or eventually had that full-time job, had the master's, got the full-time job. I was working, I was fighting. We can go over some of this, but you know, there was TUF for Forrest, TUF for me, UFC, Forrest goes to Las Vegas, all kinds of other, I mean, we can fill in some of the pieces, but Back in 1999 or 99 or whenever that was when we took over that showroom warehouse space, I don't think there was really any thought involved as to this would be the thing that pays the bills one day. And then you said around 2009. So when did you stop fighting? My very last fight was against Brian Baker in the MFC in 2009. Uh, and I think, again, sort of goes in line with Brian winning a world title, us moving into this new space. There were some places in between. We moved from the 1,250 square feet, place where we were tearing down sheetrock and putting us putting up OSB, propping up that ring with cinder blocks. Every time we went through the ring floor, we're putting cinder blocks underneath it until basically the whole thing was cinder blocks. We just got rid of that. We got some more mats. We were there for a couple of years and then moved into a brand new sort of a new building that was being built in stages. We took over 1,500 square feet. I went on the show at some point during that period of time. Forrest left Athens to go to Vegas because at that period of time, he was Forrest Griffin and like the most popular fighter in the UFC. He was coming off the show when he was fighting, uh, cornered him for a couple of his first UFC fights. And then as... I was about to go on TUF3. My brother was about to have his daughter. Forrest went to Vegas to fight, to train in full time in Vegas at Randy's Couture's. I came back from the show. We took over another 1,500 square feet. So now we're in 3,000 square feet for a couple of years. We realized we wanted to expand again. But even at this time, I was still working. Uh, I came back from TUF, maybe I'd stopped working. So over the, it wasn't up until almost like 2005-ish or so, 2000, yeah, 2005, when I went around that time to TUF3, that I think I stopped working when I came back. And I was basically just fighting or training and fighting full-time, but still not really running a business. Even though we were, we expanded, we went from that 1,500 square feet to 3,000 square feet, and we had a nice facility and we built it up we had maybe about 100 students I it still wasn't a business it was still almost a, a hobby 
and even if it wasn't a hobby, even if that's not the right word, it just, it wasn't anything that was going to be successful because we had no idea what we were doing. We had just like, I was at home all day watching TV because what else was I supposed to be doing? I didn't know. So we go and, but then, then we want to expand and we're in this 3000 square feet and we want to expand and we just, we can't expand in this location. Lack of parking, uh, landlord was just a POS. So we had to figure out a new place to go. And we were fortunate to have met someone who had a, who has, still has a lot of properties in Athens and had just bought like a 100,000 square foot, uh, facility that they used to make tuxedos in. So here's this 100,000 square foot space. And throughout this giant facility, they made tuxedos, every part of the tuxedo. So they had big steam lines and steam presses and sewing machines. And they made everything from, from the, the cummerbunds and the vests to the pants and everything, and the shirts. And he bought this facility because they weren't there anymore. And we, in 2009, around August or September of 2009, we took over a 7,200 square foot lease. And he built it out for us. We had some bathrooms and showers, which is something I always wanted. Not necessarily, not necessarily sure you'd need them, but we have them. We took out a loan for equipment. I think we took out a $50,000 loan for equipment that we paid off over five years. We got mats and things. We had forest, gave us some angel investments, a couple other people that gave us some money. So we were able to purchase mats and and bags and the metal we needed for the bag jungle and for hanging heavy bags and the mats we needed and the different strength and conditioning equipment we needed along with the, the loan we took out. So we had like a beautiful weight room facility. Sorenex, uh, like Sorenex equipment, which is like, they're like one of the top providers of strength and conditioning equipment in the world. Look at any look at any NFL weight room or top college weight room and Sorenex is in there. They, they built out, they built out things for the army. I mean, they just built out the, uh, the PI in China, all the equipment in the PI in China's Sorenex equipment now. So we had some Sorenex equipment and we had all this great weight room and wood weight treadmills, which we still have in the gym 10 plus years later. And then we had all this mat space and we got a little cage, which didn't last very long because no one liked it fenced in matted area like so we had this really kick-ass facility 700 square feet and still had absolutely no idea what we were doing so that's 2009 <clears throat> and we saw an ad on facebook for lloyd irvin and an event he was hosting in 2010 and over the course of seeing this for a period of time and hearing about what he had accomplished in his gym and what he'd helped accomplish for some other people in their gyms and not having any idea what we were doing, my brother and I got in a car on a Thursday, it was a Saturday event or I think it was a Saturday event. So maybe we got in a car late on a, th on a Friday or no, no. If it was a Saturday event, we would have gotten a car Friday afternoon, evening, and drove through the night 
to Washington, D.C., because I think that that's where the event was. He's somewhere outside of D.C. Spent 10 hours in a room on Saturday listening to him and other people talk, speaking with other business owners or gym owners, and then got back in a car Saturday night and drove back down to Athens, Georgia. And to be honest, although we're not associated with, with, with Lloyd anymore, it changed the course of our business. We were sitting in a room in this freezing cold ballroom at, forget what hotel it was. And if I remember correctly, in that room had to at least be 20 plus Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belts. I'm pretty sure No Guerra was in that room, like the No Guerra, the older one. And we were just sitting there, and my brother and I were just looking at each other laughing, going, he's just going to pop up on that video screen going, ah, suck it, internet marketing, I got y'all, fuck off. Like, we were just kidding around about, like, that's, <laughs> that's what would happen. Because we all saw this internet marketer talking about internet marketing, and he got all these people to come to D.C. We were just like, he's just going to pop up, say, see ya, peace, thanks for the cash. And we are like... That was really good internet marketing, <laughs> but it wasn't fortunately. And that was about, that was August, 2010. So we'd almost been in that space for a year, right? We had a billing company and we had people on contracts and we were doing some things right. But as far as like the advertising we were doing and the, what we were charging at the time, like we were doing most of all of that wrong. Uh, and it was like, all right, well, what, like we're here now, we've got this, I mean, 7,200 square feet is a decent-sized space. Granted, we grew to that, but it's a big space. But, what, like, what are we doing? And we went there, and we, we, we heard from some people, and we figured some things out, and we came back and slowly started implementing some things, and we joined his mastermind and got a little bit more help. Now, you know, won't, won't disparage anything. A lot of – there was a, a great amount of information we learned that helped us. Uh, and you know, it, it takes you from 7,200 square feet to 12,250 square feet, five years later, being in a location we're in for 10 years and signing a new 10-year lease. And again, there's pieces in between, but there's that, yeah. Yeah, that's incredible, man. And I feel that it's important too. And if you see like the, um, you mentioned at the beginning about evolving the truth in jujitsu and life, it's the same thing in business. And very organic from the moment that he just had the passion that had no clue what the hell was going on. And then to start to making that investment to see, Hey, let me see what this guy's talking about. And then realize that, man, we really don't know anything. And then, and start acting on the knowledge that you're, that you guys are acquiring. Now, when you look into, especially let's, let's now look after you start making those changes. What has been some of the toughest uh, entrepreneurial experiences that you've been through in the past three, uh, 10 years that you feel that are like, okay, we're going legit, legit in a way as far as more professionalism and, and so forth? I think probably one of the, although <clears throat> there were others in that room that were, and, and even the people that had joined that mastermind all those years ago, they're, I don't know if I'd say it was the biggest issue for us, but I guess I could see it as being an issue for people. I think not, not, not believing in others 
who are successful believing that their success is, I guess, a one-off. Things that people are telling you about how to, about the, the business systems you should have and the best sort of practices you should have and believing that that's, that's different. That's not going to work for me. And we had a little bit of that in the beginning. As, you know, Lloyd used to say, and I don't know what 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 are the rules in cursing. Go ahead. No okay, I'm, I'm, because you notice I only cursed once, which is really I'm proud of myself for that. But one of the things Lloyd used to always say is shit and concrete, that you have to shovel out the shit, and then you have to sort of chip away at the concrete to try and get through like these barriers people have. And you would see a lot of that, and you'd see a lot of that, and you'd recognize that those people just weren't they weren't going anywhere with their business. So. The hurdle, although we, we overcame it, was accepting that if you do things certain ways, systematically, that there is a better way. There are better practices. Now, again, I've, we've moved away from some of the things that we learned back in the day, but that idea, that, that, that method, uh, understanding like you need to have systems in place not realizing we needed systems was a hurdle, then getting over that hurdle and understanding that these systems are going to be beneficial to you are going to allow you to charge. And, and people, people get like, people get weirded out by money, especially in the martial arts. People think that, well, no, you should just, just do it for free have long hair and don't wear shirts and we'll just, yeah, like I'll live in a commune and like, but that's, that's not how it works because all those other people are leaving because they have jobs and lives and now you're stuck here. Are you going to do this full time, make it a business, make a living at it, or are you just going to just keep going about not really doing the things you're supposed to do to have the best life that you can have while providing others the best life because of what you're providing them because of the, the product you're giving them. And if your product is awesome and you can package it in a way to prove it to other people and you truly believe sincerely that what you're doing and what you're providing for others, that there's a value to that and that value is X, then why shouldn't you be able to ask people to invest a premium for that because you're providing them so much more value than they're investing? You know, you look at it like an iPhone. We pay, <laughs> we pay like $1,000 for an iPhone. But would anybody pay that if they didn't believe that the value they got back from it <laughs> outside of social media, because that's the most awful thing on the planet probably, but would we pay $1,000 for an iPhone if it didn't somehow make our lives easier, didn't somehow make our lives better, keep us connected to people, let us run our businesses better and email and text and we can get on the phones and talk to people and FaceTime and blah, blah, blah. So the hurdle in, in, in realizing that the product we provided and even though in the day, back in the day, you know, we didn't ask people it was more like a gym membership. Changing that mindset to this is not just a gym membership. You can go pay 10 bucks to go work out at Planet Fitness 
and then get yelled at for maybe grunting or dropping a weight here and there. This is not a gym membership. I'm asking you to invest in changing your life and a lifestyle uh, and creating a new sort of lifestyle for yourself. And why shouldn't I be able to provide you that while then also being able to provide my family uh, with their life and, and the lifestyle I want for them because of the changes I'm helping you make in yours. And I, I felt like, you know, even in the beginning, that very first meeting was like, this is, this is what you charge. And when someone was like, well, just go back and charge this. Just go from that small amount and add $50 to it and see what happens. And just, you know, not being sure about that at that moment, but still taking the leap, I guess a leap of faith, so to say, and jumping into, okay, we were charging that a month. Now we're going to charge this a month and real and figuring out how to make people in the beginning, see the value attached to that dollar note was, was reasonable because this is what you're going to get for it. Uh, and that was probably one of the biggest hurdles and one that I still see people struggle. I, I had seen people struggle with back then. I think people are figuring out more and more and it's because of the UFC and it's because of the, increase in popularity of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and more people are doing it and, 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 and celebrities are doing it and sports athletes are doing it. Like people are doing it like, wow, there, there is a great value there. And why shouldn't I be able to ask you to invest in that when, you know, you're going to go pay a doctor what they want to keep you healthy. Well, isn't my 20 years of experience just as valuable to help you learn how to defend yourself and be more confident, and not be a victim uh, but that was probably one of the biggest hurdles in the beginning. And I, and I think over time that's, you know, that went away and those hurdles now just are in implementing the things I know are going to be helpful and getting out of my own way to, to put them into effect. Uh, this is great. And test it out. Not everything that you're going to test is going to work. You know, some of the things you're going to do like, Oh, I thought this was going to be great, but yeah, that didn't go well. I cannot even count how many things I messed up, ideas that I thought were brilliant. <laughs> and like, yeah, that did not work. So a lot of people still in this scarcity kind of mindset, some of the schools that there's, man, the way I noticed, because I left Brazil on January of 1999, and I noticed the growth in, in jiu-jitsu in Brazil from like the late 80s to pick up more momentum so when i left i knew like man jiu-jitsu is gonna grow so much in brazil that uh, especially in rio was when i'm from man it's gonna be tough there'll be so many schools out there and then i i knew that i was gonna have to leave rio didn't know that i was gonna leave um brazil but it Anyway, so I got in the U.S. and then I saw the same pattern. Like, man, this is gonna grow here. So I start, um, so start, yeah, got in here in '99. I've been in Arizona since 2000. So I understood the pattern too. When I came here to Arizona, it's maybe between five and ten schools. Now they're like 120 in the state, you know. And a lot of people still gonna live the dream. They wanna, you know, train jujitsu and and have their uh, their school, but they don't realize. Like how tough that is, especially if you want to have like a, a good living. Like I said, it's not like millionaire or whatever, you know, but it's just, man, I just want to have a good living, provide for my family and, and have a business can provide a, a great service. 
And the truth is, if you put in, we're recording this 2020. Maybe some people might be listening this in 2030. I don't know. In 10 years from now, dude, there will be so many schools, more people getting their black belts, more people trying to open up. And here's the thing. I like the quote, only the strongest survive, because if you're not consistently evolving and really reevaluating that scarcity mindset, um, it's going to be tough to be, you, you may be in business, but you might be struggling. And the struggle that you had with the mindset, I think, of course, at some point, I think mo- I've been through that as well. I think most of the business owners uh, came in, but major props uh, for you going there, going out of your comfort zone and trying something new without knowing that is this even going to work? And that's one of the things a lot of people sometimes they are scared of. Like, what if I go there and I invest my money? It doesn't work. Like, are you going to be completely like broken, done, you know, if you do that? I'm like, well, so just take the risk. I think, you know, and you touched upon a couple of things there. And first of all, uh, congratulations, 20, 20 years, U.S., right? Mm-hmm. That's outstanding. 21, yeah. 21. Uh, I, I think there's a couple of things you stated there. And we always talk about in jujitsu that the journey is more important than the destination. And I completely agree with that. I mean, I'm, I'm a third degree black belt. I, I'm a black belt now for 10 years. Maybe I shouldn't have got my black belt when I got it uh, because I wasn't really in a gi at that time because, again, 2009, fighting a lot in UFC and one of the top MMA gyms in the world at that time, two world champions, blah, 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 blah. Some people can look that stuff up. But unlike jujitsu, one of the things that is different, you know, you talked because I'll back up. You talked about, you know, the getting out of your comfort zone, the evolving, uh, the always trying to improve. There's concepts of, of being more efficient in jujitsu that are very important in business. Uh, but one of the things that's truly different between business and jujitsu is that in business, you have to see a destination of some kind. You have to see that it's at the end of whatever it is you've tried to create. What is going to be left? People talk about legacy. I don't necessarily know if I like the word legacy, but there has to be some thought as to where are you going to be in the future, right? In jiu-jitsu, we don't want our students to think about being black belts. We want them to think about maybe getting, you know, that first stripe or getting a blue belt, and then maybe they can think about getting a purple belt or a brown belt. We don't. We want them just to enjoy the journey, enjoy the learning of jiu-jitsu and, and, and being more efficient and really getting better at uh, a few things as opposed to a lot of things, right? But in business, those people you mentioned earlier that are just living the dream and everybody should train for free or we'll charge 50 bucks a month and pay my rent and I get to wake up and do jujitsu and I don't have to worry about anything and maybe I'm still living at home with my mom or I'm still living with seven other dudes because I can't afford to pay a real rent or even a mortgage or whatever it may be. Those people are going to be like, yeah, there might be a lot of schools... Hey, you done? Just walk, dude. There might be a lot of schools that will happen, but how many of those schools are going to go out of business? Or how many of those schools are never going to truly provide for that person? That's great if that person knows and doesn't care. 
But if that person hasn't considered that, that owner hasn't considered where is my future? What am I going to be able to do? Like I'm 43 right now. I have two children, a wife. I have people that my business has to provide for, for their own, their own, you know, their own lives and their own financial security. If I don't give any of that any consideration, then it will end up with me having to do this for the rest of my life, having to, not choosing to or wanting to, but having to, because I'll have to be 60 or 70 years old, still on a mat, still coaching, not because I choose to or want to, but there's no other way that I'll be able to survive because I won't have any money. I won't have put anything away. I, there's no thought to the future. And that's one of the big, like I said earlier, that's one of the big things that is the difference between Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and, and business. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I don't want to necessarily think about where my Jiu-Jitsu is going to be. It will grow organically. It will evolve. It will become more efficient because it has to, because as I get older, I can't keep up with 20-year-old, 21-year-olds and 22-year-olds, purple belts and brown belts the way that I could if I were also 22 or 23 years old. But what's going to happen in 20 years as a business owner and as a person who will want to be able to make some different decisions as opposed to having to do all the things until the day that I die because I never considered any of that. And what would you say to the business owners and entrepreneurs out there? Let's say we do have a lot of people who are starting, they're in transition, or some of them are doing both. They're running a business and have a, a, another job. So in these 20 years that you've been uh, learning, going through so many different phases to, you know, from having no clue what's going on, not that you mastered anything like, you know, Randall, because we all still... <laughs> Uh, like always looking for information, improving stuff, you know, but from what you've seen, what piece of advice would you, would you give to some of the business owners out there? I guess probably the, the, some of the best advice is, I guess a couple of things. First, you can't believe that if you build it, they will come. That is a lie. It's a, it, it's a great movie from what I hear. I don't even know if I remember seeing Field of Dreams from start to finish. But people always like to talk about the if you build it, they will come. And that's nonsense. Go back to that very first, uh, very first ballroom I was in. There were 25 or so black belts. It might have even been more. And again, like Nogueira was there. At that time, I think he was a pride fixture. But he wasn't supporting himself like he is, I know, today, because I had kept up with it for a little while. So you have to, so building on that, you have to find people or at least find them or get involved with people who are successful. So we were in a room with someone who proved to us that his gym was successful, that he had helped other people be successful. And these were the methods and the practices that he used. Whether I use all of them now or not is neither here nor there. It set us on a path to finding other people who were successful and learning from them and understanding that there, even though there are some differences from business to business, most businesses are the same. They 
you you have a product. My product is, it's not even really, I don't even say martial arts all the time. My product is helping people to be better versions of themselves. Martial arts is a part of that. Having a great culture and a tribe that supports one another and is there to lift each other up is a bigger part of that. We just happen to have all come together because of the martial arts and because of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And because Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is what it is, it is one of the greatest conduits for creating that culture and that environment that helps lift people up, at least the way we teach at SBG Athens, which is not the way it's taught at all places, which is why not all places have the culture and the tribe that we do. I can hold it up against some of the Fortune 500 companies, having been told by people that it's as strong as some of those Fortune 500 companies, maybe even stronger. It's what got just what's what got us to go talk to military and 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 uh, Pittsburgh Pirates and to do speeches for big giant companies like my brother did because of that culture. So, learning how to run the business is important to allowing you to help more people. And if you don't learn how to run your business the right way, then you can't, if, if your passion and your why is to affect more lives, to help people be better, to help them learn how to lose weight, to learn how to stand up to bullies, to learn how to be confident, or if it's a widget, and that widget's going to make people's lives better. How many things have been created that went away because, for lack of a better word, poor marketing, right? Uh, or, or a poor culture within a company that fell apart. People need to understand that. And I think it was Zig Ziglar, and it's one of my favorite quotes. You can get all things if you help other people sort of realize what they want or realize their own happiness. And the hard, the hardcore gym to SBG Athens, again, wasn't something that was created. I want to say, I mean, in the beginning, purposefully is probably the best word. It just sort of happened organically. We cared about each other. We trained together. We were a gym where somebody fought and came back as soon as they were healthy and got back in the gym, right? We were a bunch of sweaty dudes beating the crap out of each other back in the day, but there was a really great love for one another in that. And we all helped each other to accomplish the thing we were all there doing, and back then it was fighting. And then over time, that sort of morphed a little bit. It morphed because Adam and I morphed. It morphed because we got older and we had kids and, and, and families and couldn't be 20-year-old guys cracking each other all the time and fighting in a UFC or just fighting in general. But we realized when we realized that we could help more people, not just fighters, we realized that the only way to do that was to learn how to better run our business so that it would be there for a longer period of time. We wouldn't have to be fearful about it one day disappearing because of bad business practices or what other reasons we didn't have insurance or blah, 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 blah. I mean, there's, there's so many pieces to the, to running a healthy business, but it wasn't, it has never been about being rich. I have no issues and I don't look down upon that. And I believe that I should be able to make as much money as possible as long as I do it 
with ethical business practices. And as long as I know that I am going to provide people way more value for their dollar, they're going to give me a dollar, I'm going to give them back $10 in value. And over time, I should be able to, again, ask people to invest more than just a $10 gym membership where no one cares, where they don't want you to come because if they've got a thousand people, they only want about a hundred of them coming because they'll destroy all the machinery, they'll destroy all the equipment. So they don't want you to come. We want people to come. We want them to benefit from that which we are sharing, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, mixed martial arts, the culture, the community, the environment. So you have to learn how to do it properly and ethically, otherwise, People are going to go do nonsense. They're going to go do things that aren't truly self-defense. And at the bottom of what we do, there needs to be something that helps people learn how to defend themselves. And Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Mixed Martial Arts are great vehicles for that. Wrestling, boxing, kickboxing. And it's that vehicle that brings people closer together in an environment where they can feel comfortable being uncomfortable. And if I don't continue to build my business to be the most successful my business can be, then I can never bring that to the masses and affect the lives of more people. Absolutely. Now, what advice, what is the best piece of advice that you've ever received? Maybe it's not related to, it could be life, business, anything that pops up in your mind? You know, the first thing that pops in my head, and maybe it's the scientist in me, it's the skeptic in me, is that be willing to say, I don't know. Whether it's a student on a mat asking you a question, whether it's your kid asking you a question, whether it's in thinking about the things your business needs, just being able to accept that you don't know how to do something or you don't know how things work. And then to go find, to the best of your ability, the best experts in the field to help you with that. And back in 2009, it was, I don't know how to run a freaking business. So in 2010, when this dude popped up on my computer because he was throwing an ass load of marketing onto Facebook, it's like, well, let's just, again, we, we don't know. We hope, but we don't know. Does this guy have the answers? Is this guy full of shit? Like, I don't know. But we went and we realized that he knew a lot more about the things that we didn't know. And we were, again, willing to accept that and then willing to act upon it with better and new information, right? Uh, and then bring it back to the academy and for the last 20 years have, yeah, not always, not the best business owner in the world. I have friends who make far more money than I do and their gyms make more money than mine does. But what I know is that the product that we provide and the, the environment that we've created, I will put, I will put on a line with, with anything, anywhere, any business in the entire world. So I'm not always the best about business and I've accepted, I accept that. I take personal ownership and responsibility of that you know, Extreme Ownership by Jacko Willink was something that I truly appreciated and be able to accept that at the end of the day, all of this falls on me. And sometimes I just have to accept that 
I'm not always the person I want to be, but I have to at least always be trying to move towards being a better version of myself, both as a black belt, as a coach, as a father, as a husband, as a business owner. But the, the, the being able to say, I don't know, to being able to, to accept that I have my own faults, but that I'm willing to try and improve them and not be, and not stagnate. Uh, those two pieces of advice are probably the best because we get caught up in what others have. Sometimes we get caught up in, in how other people's lives appear. Uh, and there are certainly people out there that are wired differently than, than I am. They're wired to put in the 100-hour work week. They're wired to, to get three hours of sleep. They're wired to have nine businesses. Their business brains are better. Their entrepreneurial brains are better. But you can't ever really truly find out who you are and what you are unless you're willing to accept what you don't know and then do your best to try and learn those things. Yeah, and especially what you mentioned about Comparing yourself, especially with social media now, man. Uh, this person has this many followers. There's not as many likes. This person is rocking this and that. So this is a big thing. There's a, uh, a concept I have shared in a podcast before. Uh, Dan Sullivan, he is a strategic coach from Canada. And he talks about the gain and the gap concept. He mentioned how... Sometimes people start in their, their journey, they start walking, walking, and they see the horizon, and they keep walking, keep walking. I'm like, man, I don't get there. I don't get there. And they start like, how come that person is further than I am? And they end up forgetting how far they actually walked. And, and that's when he talked about people getting stuck on the gap that you keep looking for to, and it's never what you want. So you're going to keep always searching happiness. Oh, my, my car is not as nice as the neighbor or the, the house is not as big and get stuck in the gap that brings uh, just to feel like crap and depressed instead of focus on the gain, which is just you measure backwards was just like where you actually started, man, where, look at where I'm at right now. So I always talk with, it happens with white belts and, and they start training and sometimes they're frustrated because the beginning, jiu-jitsu is complex and it's frustrating in the beginning. And then I, man, I, stop, I, I don't know, man, I'm I just not getting. And then we mentioned that other people have been coming, maybe they training less than they are, then they're doing better or whatever. Like, man. Don't and I and I mentioned to them about the gain in the gap, and said right now you're stuck in in this gap of you walk into this horizon and you try to compare yourself to a completely different human being with their own journey instead of looking back. And I always joke around. Imagine how to go a match against you right now against your version of you in the first day. You know how that would go, and they always laugh. I was like, exactly. You know, so don't try to compare because it's this is a pattern and this a pattern is going to reflect in your life in a lot of different areas if you don't watch professionally personally and and I've been there and I've done that in different moments of my life too like man how come you know my business is this and that and luckily many years ago of reading books and being more involved with personal development being able to to at least because our mind's just going to be playing some tricks and saying some stuff that if you're not aware, the next thing will start rolling with this idea. So 
it's super important to be self-aware of like if these thoughts start to kind of mess with you, just make sure, man, just measure your success, let's say, uh, backwards, just so we don't get stuck in the on the gap and the what's in the gain. That's where uh, that's where the growth is. I think you touched on some really important things, and I, I know this isn't a BJJ podcast, but I know, at least personally, I feel like the reason why I love BJJ so much, and I feel as if it has helped. I believe it's truly helped more people than probably any other martial art, which is why, again, we talk about having to be a good business owner. So that, because I truly think that we need to bring Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu to more people because of all the self-defense aspects of it, the personal growth aspects of it. But you touched on a couple of things. One of them was don't compare yourself to others. We each have our own journey. And the person who comes in and is more athletic or, you know, we talk about in business, the person who's just more business has more business acumen. Similarly, the person who just has more athleticism on the mat they're going to get a little better. They're going to move along a little faster. And if I look at that person and how they've progressed and compare myself, then I start to feel badly about myself. I think one of the things that goes in line with that and something I talk about a lot with my students is the concept of expectations. And if you think about, you said go back to think about yourself as a white belt. What I usually talk about with my students is how long have you been doing this? And if we talk about it like with business also, how long have you been a business owner? How long have you been in, in jujitsu? It's like, all right, well, I've been doing this for six months or eight months. Okay, how great of a walker, runner, athlete were you when you were six months old, right? You were just crawling around at six months. You at eight months or nine months or 10 months old, you were trying to stand up a little bit. You know, like you first you rolled a little bit, then you crawled a little bit, then you tried to pull yourself up on things and then you fell down a bunch. And then eventually you could sort of wallow your way across. You had this giant head and you kept falling over and then eventually you learn how to balance yourself. It's like no one started, unless you were a baby giraffe, you didn't mm-hmm. pop out of something and stand up on your two feet at 250 pounds and start nibbling leaves from trees or, or, or milking and nursing. Like we forget at our older age, or we sometimes even forget into how long we've been business owners that this process of getting to a level takes a long time. You, you, you can't look at the lens of jujitsu, your jujitsu journey, just going back to how you spoke. You can't look at the lens of your jujitsu journey as the adult successful person you may be the person who can speak fluent English or other languages or is a good scientist or all the things that you've accomplished, you're 30, 40, 50, 60 years old. You, you can't look at your jitsu in that same lens. You, I tell my students, they don't even get the right to have expectations. Just stop. You don't get to have an expectation about something that you've been doing for six months or a year or two years or even five years. You don't get to, you don't, you just don't because you don't know. You don't know what you don't know, right? It's, again, going back to being able to say, okay, I don't know. And you don't because you've been doing this for five years. We do this 10 years. I got my black belt in 2009. I've been a black belt for 10 years now. And I'm still learning to this day how to be better and more efficient at my jujitsu. And sometimes it's the simplest of movements. Like, oh, yeah. Sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, I've been doing that. That's why I've been doing that. And then you hear that and you're like, oh, well, now it becomes a part of your conscious as opposed to your subconscious. Same thing in business. You don't really know what you don't know, but all you truly know is that if someone gives you good information, 
then you have two choices. Do something with it or ignore it or continue to be ignorant about it. And if you do something with that information, you'll move forward. If you don't, you'll stay or you'll fall behind while others move forward. And it's no different in jujitsu. If you give me some information, I'm going to be on a mat with someone who's going to take that information and they're going to do better with it, but I can still do better with it. And as long as I don't compare myself to how well they do with it, then I have still moved forward. Whether it's my business, whether it's, it's on, and on mats, it, none of that, again, it doesn't matter. But the important thing is, is that, like you said, and we talked about earlier, just stop, stop comparing yourselves to other people. If anything, let those people help to spurn you forward to be better as opposed to saying, oh, well, they're there and I'm here. I can never be there. And you know what? You might never be there, but you can certainly get closer, right? You can bridge that gap a little bit. I've been on a mats with world champions. I remember being on a match with them 15 years ago and then being on a match with them, you know, more recently and being like, they might still be a little better than me, but I went, I got a lot closer than maybe I thought I would where they were at a place and they didn't move that same equal distance away from me. So I'm doing something right. Just because I'm not there yet doesn't mean that I can't be. Maybe I don't want to be, but I certainly can continue to move forward if I just focus on me and how I can be a better version of myself. And then hopefully that all trickles down while it trickles up. And then everyone around me can be better versions of themselves. Now, what did you say? Let's go back to 2010. So if you have to give an advice to the younger Rory, 10 years ago, went there and could get a quick conversation with him and give him one advice, not that you want anything different in your life because you are where you are in your life because of the choices and everything, uh, all the choices that we make, but just just for curiosity, looking back, you know, especially that moment that we just kind of like, okay, start to step up your business. If you could go back and give him one advice, what that would be? What advice would I give myself 10 years ago? The advice that I would probably give myself is don't try and reinvent the wheel. I see it a lot of the times in these small martial arts, uh, these small MMA events, right? I still have some amateur fighters, not as, not as many as we used to, but I see in these MMA events all the time, like people who just shouldn't be fighting with coaches who shouldn't be coaching, with athletes that are about to go out to fight and are still being taught how to defend a jab. What the F? Why are you doing this now? A, B, why doesn't he already know how to defend a jab? And then that guy goes out, whether he wins or loses, like, like, I think that guy went out and fought. Like, how bad was the other guy if that guy couldn't defend the jab? Because you, you hear these people and they almost revel in their ignorance. And in today's day and age of YouTube and the internet and the ability to not know something for like five seconds, like really... For the five seconds you're thinking about the thing you don't know to typing into your phone or your computer, you know things. So we, you, you have to be willing to accept that there are people who know things out there 
so that you don't have to start off at the bottom with a big piece of stone going, how do I chisel this thing to get it to look right? Like, how do we invent the wheel? Well, no, the wheel's been invented. It's probably the best wheel. You don't need to reinvent that. So there's your starting point. And that starting point is people who have the knowledge that you wish you had and then go find them. So again, we did that back in 2010, in 2009. So I, I can't go back to myself 10 years ago, but I wish I could go back to myself 10 years before that. Now, again, with not changing anything, because I pretty pretty stoked about my life and my, and my family and my kids and where I am, yeah, I'd like to have more money, but the money is not the thing that's going to make me happier. It's just, just going to let me do some more things that are fun. Pretty happy cat. But what I would tell someone who didn't make that decision 10 years ago, who is right now thinking about starting a gym and doesn't know how to do it and is just going to try and figure it out all on their own, just stop. There, there are people, there are groups, there are books, there are, there's, just, there's just too much out there for you to just go back to the beginning and try and do it all by yourself. You need help. You need a mentor. Uh, whether Napoleon Hill made up everything or not, because there is some thought that most of what he wrote was nonsense and he didn't really do all those things, but he's not wrong in the sense that you need a mentor. You need to find someone who can show you how to get started, someone that you can ask questions, someone that can help you along the way, because it's a lot easier to do it with help than to try and figure it out all by yourself. Absolutely. Now, getting close to the end of the interview, so for people who are listening for the first time, usually what I do after I go and I listen to the interview and I reflect on what was said and I create an audio from five to 12 minutes, my final thoughts, but content to inspire and impact and improve your life in some way. So that's when my work really starts because the interview is pretty easy. The guests, they give me the, the content. So that's the easy part for me. So now creating the content after that, it's, that's my work. So uh, what do you got going on? What's exciting? What's exciting with you and the gym? What you got? Whew. Especially now we're starting 2020, big plans for the year. You know, my plans for the year, I guess what's exciting but also scary at the present moment is that I've realized that I am at a place, I don't want to say I got a little complacent, but I've realized I'm in a place where I need to sort of if I want the gym to improve, if I want it to be more successful, if I want it to be more profitable, then the next step, again, it's exciting because if we do it, when we do it, I know it's going to take us to another level. It's going to help us be better. It's scary because you have to kind of take that leap. You actually have to do the work and get it done is in trying to better organize. It might not sound exciting, but trying to better organize my staff, my employees, so that that part of the business runs better. Again, I look at my gym and I'm, 
I'm as happy as ever with what I see when I go out and I see big classes, right? I see people having fun. I see the lives that we're changing. Just had a gentleman. We, we, we run a training for warriors program. We're a straight bash gym, but we run a training for warriors program for our group fitness. And I just had a gentleman who in, over the last couple of months, December, January, he lost, let's say 30 ish pounds. He just got under 400 pounds, like actual, like 395, 96. So not like a fluctuation, but he's under 400 pounds. First time in his life in 15 years since he was in high school that he's been under 400 pounds. So I see the things that we're accomplishing. And when I think about how do I, how do I better accomplish that? I know that I'm in a place in my present location and the town that I'm in, probably not going to get much bigger but I still want to be able to help more people. I still want to be able to change more lives, kids' lives, adult lives, confidence, uh, focus, anti-bullying, like all those things that are the reasons why I do all of this. So I know that if we take this next step, when we take this next step to really improve our structure and our corporate, I guess you'd say corporate structure, to make sure that everyone sort of knows what they're supposed to do, that the tasks that need to get done are getting done, that I'm being able to do the things that I enjoy doing more, that I'm better at than other things, whether that's I do it or someone else does it, whether I pay someone to do my marketing or I do it on my own and things of that nature. I know that's going to allow me to take the next step to hopefully, because you never know, but my hope is to then open up another gym. And I know that I need to figure those things out and have those things in store and in line. Because even if I just open up another gym that's 20 minutes away from the, the academy we have now, I know that I'll need the, the people in place, the, the structures in place, the understanding of who does what and how it gets done and who's coaching the classes and who's running the gym. Like all those things that most people don't think about that, sure, I wish I would have thought about a long time ago, but you build it the way it gets built because of who you are and what your capabilities are, but you know, it has to get done. And at some point you just got to be like, okay, it's time. Whether we open another location, or we don't, it's going to at least make this place run better. But if my goal is to affect more lives, if my goal is to have a better future for me and my kids to have a better retirement, even though I'll never leave training and probably coaching, there are pieces that if, I have to accept I don't know that I need to fix and to be better at. And that's sort of where I'm at in 2020. That's, that's sort of my goal is to, to better understand that aspect of my business so that hopefully one day I can open up another business like SBG Athens in another, in another town around me. Yes, sir. So, Rory, thank you so much for your interview, man. It was thank great. You. Awesome. I appreciate you having me on. I enjoyed yes, this. Yes, sir. So for all the listeners, stick around for my final thoughts. Who's Let me share with you my final thoughts from the interview with the third degree black belt Rory Singer. If you're listening just to the final thoughts on Instagram TV at Gustavo Dantas BJJ, Rory is a former UFC fighter and the co-owner of SBG Athens in Georgia. He talked about the importance of not comparing your journey to someone else's journey. He also shared that you shouldn't try to reinvent the wheel. Have the humility to say, I don't know, and go look for help. Find mentors or people that can help you with your development and the growth of your business. 
open your mind to evolve. My takeaway from the interview came at the beginning of the conversation when I asked him, how does jiu-jitsu relate to life? And he said something along these lines, in jiu-jitsu for you to grow, you have to open your mind to evolve. You learn from previous experience and focus on improvement. You have to be pressure tested. You have to find comfort in uncomfortable situations the same way in life, which inspired me to title this episode, Growing and Evolving. If you want to evolve in all areas of your life, as Rory said, don't be afraid to say, I don't know. Develop a beginner's mindset. As a matter of fact, this was the title of episode 29 with Nick Regardiotis. In the book, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, Informal Talks on Zen Meditation and Practice, the author Shinryu Suzuki mentions, quote, In the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities. The experts, there are few. Unquote. The message is simple. Just be humble. Read that true humility is staying teachable regardless of how much you already know. I have mentioned a few times in a podcast about the book, The Art of Learning, An Inner Journey of Optimal Performance by Josh Wainsky. For those who don't know, when Josh was a child, he was recognized as a chess prodigy. By seven years old, Josh was already taking advanced chess classes that took him to win eight national championships. In 1993, the film Searching for Bobby Fischer was released based on his story. I highly recommend you take the time to watch. An interesting fact, Josh Wensky is also a black belt in jiu-jitsu under one of the jiu-jitsu goats, Marcelo Garcia. Josh's book is about the pursuit of excellence, and one of the chapters is dedicated to the beginner's mind topic. He mentioned in the book, quote, Beginner's mind is approaching things with a wonderful, fresh, open spirit of a child. Children look at something and they just want to learn it. They soak in the information, unquote. I want to suggest a little homework for you. Go to YouTube, type whatever topic you've been curious about, and listen to what people have to say, a subject that is going to help you to evolve as a human being and or an entrepreneur. You don't have to agree with what everyone is saying. However, keep the beginner's mind in check and open your mind to new information. For example, I didn't know much about spirituality one year ago. I got curious and decided to watch videos on YouTube, which led me to buy books to learn more about it. Am I super knowledgeable now? No, but better than one year ago, spirituality has been an essential piece of my process of growing and evolving as an entrepreneur and human being. I've been doing my best to utilize the beginner's mind, and I highly recommend you to do the same. Allow yourself to be curious and research more topics that you know it can help you to keep growing and evolving personally and professionally. To wrap up, I'm going to share one of Suzuki's quotes from the book. Quote, Each of you is perfect the way you are, and you can use a little improvement. Os. We're glad you were able to join us for this episode of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, but the lesson doesn't end here. Watch the videos and download the audio of the 10 mental mistakes BJJ competitors make and how to avoid them for free when you subscribe to the BJJMentalCoach.com. Don't miss the chance to find out what might be holding you back from being your best self on and off the mat. That's the BJJMentalCoach.com. 